Does the channel provide value? Focus on the foundation. I am a travel vlogger. It's always about communication. Build those partnerships. What are the problems that you solve for your clients? Just being ahead on the technological side of things. Leading an organization. You not only want to survive, but you want to thrive. They said it wouldn't last, and they said that you can't drive profitable and incremental revenue through the affiliate channel. But here we are, 20 years later, and the affiliate channel is alive and kicking and generating profitable revenue for thousands of retailers across the globe. Hi, I am Jamie Birch, your host of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, where we talk to some of the industry's best and brightest about their careers, about leadership, and about how to drive profitable revenue through the affiliate channel. Welcome to the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Birch, and I'm also the CEO and the founder of JEB Commerce, your award-winning affiliate management agency. Uh, today, we've got a great podcast guest for you. It is April Spigarelli. Uh, she is currently the senior account executive uh, at Ibotta, a very intriguing and successful uh, affiliate. Dude, we have some awesome conversations today. Everything from career. You guys, if you've been listening, then you obviously know you remember, I like to talk about a couple things uh, on this podcast. I like to get to know my guests. I want to talk about careers, and it's always intriguing how people make decisions, especially uh, when they take big leaps and big risks. Uh, and today's guest is definitely no stranger to that. So we definitely go into career decisions and how those are made, uh, and the history of of Ibotta and how they how they do things. Uh, but one of the big things I want you to really focus on and get to is her planning rules. Now we will include these in the show notes, but we talk about Q4 planning and planning in general. April does a really good job as well of talking about the unique value proposition of Ibotta and what it's like to work with that affiliate and her and what she needs from advertisers to be successful. So I'm going to get out of the way here and let you listen to my really fun conversation with April Sprigarelli from Ibotta. All right, April Spigarelli, thank you for joining us and welcome to the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to, to have this discussion today. Yeah, yeah, me too. It was great to get to meet you in our, our prep call and uh, excited to talk about a bunch of interesting things. But tell me, what's going on in your world? How are you today? Um, well, it's uh, late September, so we are in the middle of what I like to affectionately call Q4 crazy in affiliate yeah. planning. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's just uh, trying to make the most out of our days because I think especially now working from home, um, as most are still at this point, I think, within affiliates, um, trying to balance like how much can I squeeze in terms of productivity into the day? while also still being a human being and a mom and a wife. <laughs> so yeah. how's, how are you recently? Uh, you know, a lot of the same. Um, we we recently had a corporate offsite that we had. Uh, we called it the uh, uh, corporate insight because we were planning to all get offsite and together. 
uh, here were our where my office is uh, headquartered in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And, you know, it just got so crazy. And I was so worried about, I mean, God forbid I ask my team to do something and they get sick from it. And right. so we, we just Thursday and Friday had our insight, which was uh, our virtual offsite. And so trying to get back into the flow of work, we had such a tremendous time. We had a, a, um, uh, we did a virtual escape room type of activity together. Oh, um, and then we did a virtual wine tasting, which was uh, phenomenal. Um, and we even brought in a mentalist, uh, which you'd think like, how do you do that magic with people over the screen? But I can tell you, <laughs> he blew us away. So that's kind of what we're coming off. Of. You know, you always come off a high from that and then you get back into the work. So that's where I'm at today. Yeah, I don't I don't envy the catch up process after being out for a day, but it's so wonderful and helpful to like gather as a team however you can, whether it be digitally or yeah. in person, because it's it's important. It's important to make sure that everybody sees each other and sees that like we're all in this together. And I've worked for I've worked for companies that did that right and did that very well. And then I've worked for other companies that didn't do it quite right. And the difference in productivity and just um, morale more than anything is yeah. is striking. Yeah. And, you know, that's been our biggest, um, I don't know if I'd say struggle, but it's been the biggest challenge is we for, and, and myself for a really long time, I said, we're going to be together. Like that's going to mm -hmm. be our competitive advantage. We're going to be all in the same room and we're going to be, you know, um, uh, bumping into each other and sharing ideas and all those things. Well, and COVID took that, you know, away. So we've been, how do we adapt? How do we, um, you know, and I, and I hundred percent agree with you, the productivity on teams and the, the fulfillment of the individuals yeah. on the teams are way higher when you're, uh, you're together. And how do you do that when you're not uh, together? So we, this entire two days was, we called it JEB Connect. And it mm -hmm. was two days of shared experiences and trying to come up with, you know, because I, I always think in order to build a strong relationship with someone, you have to have some shared experience, something you do together. Well, how do you do that right. when you can't physically be together? So I think we found some really good ways. We got some good feedback. And I think it's positive when employees text you and just say, hey, this was such a, a good event. Now, what's been the biggest, have you always worked remote or is the pandemic kind of forced you to work remote? And then like, what's, what's your biggest challenge working remote in the past two years? Um, I am a, a late adapter to remote work. <laughs> um, I, I actually did used to go into an office about a half hour drive from my home. Um, I worked for Rakuten from 2012 to late 2020 um, on their sales team. And I used to drive, drive in and be in the office and be present. And we had flexibility that if you needed to work from home, um, you were given, you know, all the tools to do so essentially. And then when the pandemic hit, that became, um, I was just talking with somebody about this yesterday too, that it's funny that when the pandemic first closed everything down and we all started working from home, our general feeling was, oh yeah, we're going to do this weird thing for a few weeks and then, <laughs> you know, we'll go back to the office and, and life will kind of resume. 
And then here we are more than a year and a half later and we're still in it. (laughs) But uh, last late last fall, I made the decision to leave my position at Rakuten and take a full-time permanent remote position, which if you would have asked me five years ago, I would have never seen that for myself. Um, But it's interesting the things that you open yourself up to and how life and your circumstances change your attitude about things. So now I am full-time permanent remote because I work for Ibotta now. Uh, and the company is based in Denver, Colorado. And obviously I am in Wisconsin. So, um, you know, uh, remote work is, it's interesting. It has its own set of challenges, but also there's positives to it as well. I think there's the case can be made for either way. And the only person who can really decide you know, is this the right move for a potential employee candidate uh, for an existing employee is really just the employee in the organization. And it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting, because I'm, I'm very much a people person. Um, but then with that working in an office, there were moments where it was really hard for me to focus because I loved, yeah. I love listening to conversations around me, I love listening to how my peers approach things, how they answer specific questions. And it's really nice to be able to gauge and kind of bounce off one another. So when you make that shift to remote work, you have to be intentional about how you engage with your fellow employees. You have to schedule in. It sounds silly, but you do. It's super helpful to schedule in just time to catch up with team members that you get along with really well and remote happy hours and, um, you know, meetings that are specifically dedicated to idea sharing and how are you answering questions, you know, like this and and getting help from the team. And that's, that's where it turns remote into as productive of work as in-person office experiences. Gosh, and you bring up that word intentional, that level of intentionality, that is probably what I've learned most about all my relationships during the last 18 months is because we aren't physically in the same room, if I want a, you know, even outside of work, if I want to keep that relationship with that person, I have to, like, I have to put that on my calendar, you know, call TJ, call my mom, do those things because we're not together. And that's what I, that's what we talked about at at the beginning of the offsite. Like some of these things are going to feel hokey because we're, we're having to like, move into that. Did you experience that too of like, oh, I got to, I got to carve out, I got to put time on my calendar to check in with somebody or to do that intentionally? Was that difficult for you? Um, It was less of a leap for me because uh, even though I went into an office when I was working for Rakuten at the beginning of the pandemic, um, we still had a kind of a global experience because my direct supervisor worked out of San Francisco. So if I wanted to talk to my boss, I still needed mm-hmm. to engage over Zoom. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm admittedly old enough to remember when Zoom was not a thing <laughs> in uh, all of these relationships uh, with marketing, with affiliates, with all of that, because um, I remember the shift when we went from just doing a conference call for sales meetings to being on camera because I have a very expressive face and I tend to lean a little bit sarcastic. So I remember when we made that shift, uh, somebody kind of tapped me afterwards and said, 
you might want to watch your facial expressions when we have some of these sales meetings because uh, the, the sarcasm comes through whether you're speaking or not. <laughs> oh, yeah. So 90% I, I learned of your language uh, is from your yep, body language. I learned right? at that point, like, oh, yeah, you better uh, temper your eye rolls, April. <laughs> yeah, that's been, I know the mistake I made is sometimes I'm in meetings where I only need to be present and I don't have to, I have no task and no yeah. role other than being there. And so sometimes I will move over on my other screen and do something else and someone will say something and I'll have to catch myself from going, <laughs> that, that, that face. Well, that that's, you know, it, it's been such a weird time. And even for us last week, we so badly wanted to meet everyone. And once we went remote, we knew we could hire from anywhere really in the world. And so right. where we are is way different now than 18 months ago. So getting everyone together and we just just had to make the, it was the right thing to do to go virtual. And, and so it's been such a, a weird time, but why don't we go back to the beginning? Tell me, you know, how did you find uh, affiliates? How did you get into this career path? Um, backwards, sideways, um, and at like 48 miles an hour. <laughs> so um, I, I went to school for uh, broadcast journalism um, and dabbled in marketing with that degree as well. And when I graduated, um, I took a look at what my job options were. And uh, I was looking into, you know, do I go kind of more of the on-air broadcasting route or do I lean into the marketing route? And full transparency, uh, marketing had better hours and better pay. <laughs> So um, instead of following my passion and becoming the the next Katie Couric, uh, because that was kind of where I wanted my career to go as big oh, wow. nationally syndicated programs, um, being involved with journalism that way, I instead, uh, I took a job with a radio station uh, thinking that, okay, if I want to dabble in on air, this is getting my foot in the door at the radio station. So maybe I can do some part-time work there. And they did use me for voice work, but then I figured out fairly quickly that I apparently was just talented at relationship building. Um, so I stayed on their sales staff for the next three and a half years and um, just found out that I was really passionate about it and that I loved it. Oh, wow. And so I, I worked for a few different radio station groups in my 20s. Um, and then I dabbled for about 10 months, I think, selling hearing aid batteries to audiologists and figured out that that was not what I wanted to do. Um, and then, uh, as I was looking to exit that part of my career, I was doing some consultation work and I got connected with an HR director at what was known as fat wallet at that point. Um, and she and I connected about a role for, it was called sales support slash account executive. So I effectively went from being a senior account executive, still working in traditional media, several steps down <laughs> to a normal account executive, um, because the conversation that we had at that point was uh, super engaging. The company was the kind of company that I wanted to work for. And so I, I took a hard look and I said, okay, am I willing to take a couple of risks to be where I want to be, you know, long term? And so um, that was my first job in affiliate marketing, working for Fat Wallet, uh, very freshly post acquisition uh, by Ebates at that point. Um, and then 
working for Ebates, we went through several other kind of acquisition type situations where Ebates kept mm-hmm. getting bigger and bigger as a company and buying other companies and then got acquired by Rakuten. So um, it was kind of a wild ride, but it's been fun this whole time. And um, I, I've considered other opportunities outside of affiliate, but I think uh, I'm sure you know, and other people have said as well, that it's really hard to leave and stay away from affiliate marketing because the relationships are amazing. The amount of information you learn, um, it's constantly evolving. So there's always something new to learn. If anybody tells you that they are the expert and they know everything affiliate marketing has to offer, they're wrong. <laughs> it's not dissimilar from search advertising. It's uh, it's constantly evolving. The rules are always changing. The technology is always changing. So it's really fun if you're kind of a student of human behavior, which I like to consider myself. And it's just uh, every day is different. Uh, there's always new challenges. And I don't know, it's just great. That's awesome. So you came through sort of the sales door. Well, actually through your major, through broadcast uh, journalism and then in sales and you know, that relationship, how important is that, is the relationship building in sales in general and then, and how important in affiliates? It depends on what sort of organization you're working for. If you're working in marketing in general, um, relationships are very important uh, because really it takes time to establish trust. And and when you talk about marketing in general, not just affiliates, but all marketing, you're really talking about what buttons can I push to see human response? And I've, I've mm-hmm. always been that nerd that loves what buttons did we push? What sort of response did we see? Because the beautiful thing about human behavior is it's not an exact science. It's not something that occurs in a lab. Um, there's this entire ecosphere of where the average consumer is going to interact with your brand and what sort of pieces were involved in that in the pie, you know, and, and how did that then in turn make the consumer feel about your brand? Um, So that's, that's what's beautiful about affiliates too, is it's, it's pushing different levers and pushing different buttons of control um, and then seeing the response. And the longer you work in it, the more history that you get with the audience that you're measuring the more sort of control you have over expectation of results. Um, You know, I I work for Ibotta now and they, they do a ton of testing of, you know, when we expose our brand, a brand uh, to consumers in this particular way, this is the response that we got. And they try very hard to make that as scientific as possible and make very few changes so that they can see those results. And that was part of what drew me to them as a company is, you know, they have uh, such a different nature of relationship with the brands and with the consumers that, um, you know, there was a lot more kind of bells and whistles to play with on the car that I was shopping for, (laughs) per se. (laughs) Um, And, you know, bells and whistles are just, it's fun. It's fun to have the extra things that you can play with and offer to brands, um, you know, to, to differentiate yourself within the publishing marketplace. That's awesome. And I, I definitely have a ton of questions on Ibotta and what you guys are doing now. Um, but tell me about your career decisions. So, you know, how do you, how did you decide to leave uh, radio and how did you make that decision? Was it scary? And then, you know, how did you, you've, you've made a couple of different decisions, one recently, like how do you in general process that, um, 
that fork in the road and make the decision. And, and you know, what was that like? And, and first, like, were you, did, was there hesitation from kind of leaving that area? Maybe you thought your whole career was in? Um, well, when I was leaving radio to go into affiliate marketing, it was long enough ago now that, um, and it's funny cause this isn't really the case anymore, but there was so much discussion around, uh, the effect of satellite radio and how big of a player satellite radio was going to play in the space. And I feel like both terrestrial radio and satellite radio have kind of figured out their effective pieces of the pie. Um, and, and now we're continually having that discussion around TV advertising. You know, if you follow any sort of marketing podcasts or blogs or things like that, you know, uh, the big question of how valuable is it to uh, market yourself on traditional terrestrial TV signals? versus streaming and things like that. And um, the marketplace does tend to differentiate. But my decision to leave radio was primarily because I I wanted to get into the digital sphere. Um, I saw so much opportunity and potential. And I was kind of coming almost as things were starting to really peak and and grow very aggressively within digital and affiliate marketing. Um, and, And when I made the decision, you know, Facebook had really only been open to a general audience for maybe a year or two at that point. So Facebook was still, you know, on the, on the hockey stick part. Um, And it was, you know, you, you see these industries that are growing aggressively and there's so many different ideas being shared and things like that. And I'm an elder millennial. So that really appealed to me to be part of that process, to be part of something that was growing and that I could make my mark on. And then, um, you know, I, I had a great eight year tenure at Rakuten, um, and Ebates and fat wallet, (laughs) uh, naming all of the name changes as we went through the years. But there was a point last year where I thought, okay, I want to do something else. And there just wasn't space for me to grow into the type of position that I wanted to grow in. Rakuten's a really big organization, but they had done a reorg last year. And I kind of thought, okay, this is my moment to try out something different. So I'll just keep my eye on on what's going on and what's going to be available to me. Um, And a, a very early startup uh, early stage startup, I should say, reached out to me last fall called Give Good Deeds. And it was kind of that something different that I wanted to see. Um, they were building something that was similar to what Rakuten did, but it was very focused on nonprofit organizational relationships with direct brands. So it was both giving space to, you know, what is Nike investing their nonprofit dollars into, as well as if you make a purchase through Nike, um, can you also invest your a portion of your cash back into the nonprofit organization of your choice? So um, it was very much right up my alley. They were doing a lot with, um, you know, sharing data about consumers and sharing, uh, you know, a lot of information about what sort of control advertisers could have over relationships. And it was great. And I made the leap. Uh, I did the really big and scary thing because the older you get, the big, scary things get just scarier. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I look back at when I started this agency and I'm like, one, I don't even know that guy. And how the hell did he do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One, it's um, I have a really close relationship with my dad and he he had a storied career in sales, too. He's retired now. But uh, he said something to me at one point, and it's it's not a it's not a Bob original by any means, but he said, "If not now, when? If not me, who?" And that was the 
the thing I had in my head when I made the decision to leave Rakuten of, okay, you could be part of this early stage, really cool thing. And if it's not you, who else would you recommend for the position? And I couldn't think of anybody that would be as passionate about it. So I took the leap. Unfortunately, two months after I started at that position, the startup failed. Um, It was just, there were a lot of big goals uh, around what they wanted to do in terms of growing the audience very quickly. And it's just tough to do in a pandemic. Um, You know, they, they had some really solid exposure and they had a lot of plans for how they were going to scale, but converting a new audience is hard, no matter what, if you're a publisher, if you're a brand, um, capturing new folks is always some of the, some of the toughest uh, things that you're going to capture in terms of conversion. And so you know, the CEO of the startup had to take a good look at, okay, where do I focus my efforts? Do we find, you know, external funding to help support this for a while? And he made the decision, unfortunately, uh, to just, you know, let the project go. And I think, I think it broke his heart as well as the hearts of all the staff. But um, then it left me in a position of, okay, what, what do I do next? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I, I tried my hand at internal sales again and figured out it wasn't for me. I worked for Zendesk for a bit and they're a fantastic employer, but the speed and the sort of focus of what I was doing was just, it wasn't where my passion lied. And so a few months into that, I reached out to the folks at Ibotta and I said, Hey, um, you know, what's, what's open there. Um, and I had a really really good conversation with uh, one of the VPs, Rishi. And he said, yeah, uh, are you, if you're interested, we would love to work with you, but it's going to be another one of those weird situations where you're going to kind of take a a weird level step in your career, April, you've had a director title. Um, We need a senior account executive. And I said, nope, this is where I want to be. And part of what drew me to it was Ibotta, they do similar things as other big publishers, the Rakutens, the Honeys, but the level of engagement was what really attracted me because uh, Ibotta's history is in grocery CPG. So they've been very focused on getting those everyday purchases uh, and, and getting making connections with their audience related to that. And that's it was something that Rakuten had been focused on for a while. And I think other big publishers had been focused on getting into the grocery space and getting more of that engagement. Um, And the idea of this is where it's going to be obvious that I'm a marketing nerd, but the idea of being able to engage with people two and three times a week was, oh my gosh, the, the power in that and the power in getting people so invested because this is something they have to buy all the time. And like, what can we do with that information? And, Um, I I think Rishi would tell you even now in my first interview with him that I I did come across as a giant marketing nerd, but that's okay. I own who I am. (laughs) (laughs) You got to be comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's scary making job changes with, within a pandemic. We keep hearing about things like the, the great, uh, what do they call it? The great resignation. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've I've seen other people with stories similar to mine where they've, you know, made the decision to leave something that they've been working on for a long time, leave companies that they've been working with for a long time. And sometimes you take a risk and it works out beautifully. Sometimes you take a risk and it doesn't work out. But the beautiful thing about that is, you know, you take that lesson and, you know, when good deeds 
no longer was in business and I was kind of left like, what's my next step? I always knew that I could fall back on the relationships that I had built um, and kind of try to use those to figure out my next move. Um, and, and I, it's, it's a true testament to how great the relationships are in affiliates that I had so many people reach out to me saying, Hey, I heard this position is open. Hey, I heard this mm-hmm. company is hiring. This company is great to work for. Um, and actually one of the engineers that I worked with at Good Deeds came from Ibotta. So I got to pick his brain a little bit, you know, yes. when I was talking to Ibotta of, you know, what's the culture like? Are they great to work for? And he had good things to say. So it was like, okay, I feel like I'm making the next right move. But if anyone is making, you know, starting to have the feeling that they want to pursue the next step, the best thing I can tell them is to go in with both eyes open and be prepared that it might work out, it might not, but you will be okay generally in the end. You kind of have to have faith in yourself that, you know, uh, trusting your gut is usually the right thing to do. But as long as you're looking at all of your options, looking at everything as entire ecosphere as you're making those decisions, um, you know, if you're trusting your gut, you're the you're the best source of of making that right decision. Are you enjoying the show so far? I sure hope so. You know, there's been an awful lot of discussion over the last few years about the value of coupon affiliates. Maybe even you have doubted whether there's value or not. Well, we at JB Commerce wanted to find out, and the good news is the data is out there. So we interviewed all the top networks, did our own research, and compiled all the data from many reports already done about these affiliates on whether they add value or not. You see, we wanted to know the truth. And that resulted in an ebook that is now available to you at jbcommerce.com value. In this ebook, you'll find the three categories of coupon affiliates, information from Rakuten's marketing report on incrementality, data from Google and Comscore, data from Link Connector on commission stealing funnel participation, and data on brand perception, and so much more. If you're struggling with this debate and trying to determine your coupon strategy, you definitely want to download this free ebook. And I want you to have this 100% for free simply for being a listener of our podcast. You can access this free ebook at jbcommerce.com value, all for free. So thank you for listening. Now back to our show. I think the most, like the most poignant thing you said there was you're going to be okay. Yeah. Like I, I look at, you know, and your, your positions over the pandemic, uh, I'm sure that was, were scary moves, not knowing it's one thing at any point in your career to make a, a job change. And you're like, what if this doesn't work out? Will I be able to, you know, all these things are going through your head, right? Will I be able to find another job? Right. Will I be able to advance. And then during a pandemic where none of us know what's going on and what's going to happen, was there, um, was it family support? Was, was there a, any kind of practice you did to kind of get you over that? Um, or was it just the future opportunity that you wanted to go after that, that future opportunity? What, was there anything that helped you get over that fear? I think the biggest thing is being very introspective and knowing yourself very well. Mm-hmm. Um, working in sales and there's, there's a, there's different levels of different sales positions. <laughs> there's different levels of different marketing positions. The, the longer you progress in your career, the more you kind of are able to take a hands-off approach in terms of management and how much they control. 
And um, because I've worked in outside sales before, because I've worked in an ad sales for the bulk of my career, you have to know about yourself that you're going to be the type of person that will get up and email the people you need to email, call the people you need to call, set up appointments, be forward thinking, be proactive. And if you know that about yourself, and if you know that, um, you know, you're going to be able to support yourself no matter what, um, that's where it generally kind of starts coming from. It's, it's easier to believe I'm going to be okay. Um, and I, Fortunately, I have lots of downfalls, but that is one of the positive things that I can say about myself is I know that my particular brand of drive in what I do and the steps I take to be successful, I tell my 11-year-old all the time, you have to put in the work. And if you know that the type of person you are is the type of person who's going to put in the work, generally, you will be okay. Uh, That's not promising a life without adversity. And I fully own that I come from a place of privilege. Um, you know, my, my parents are married, they're stable. They've always had a stable income. Um, we weren't necessarily well off by any means, but we were solid middle, middle-class growing up. So I knew like worst case scenario, you know, my parents could theoretically help to a certain degree, but also, um, I'm a prideful person, so I didn't want to do that. So when I was unemployed, I'll be transparent with you, I put in so many applications. And I I forced myself outside of my box quite a bit too, of looking at different sales roles, looking at different organizations. And that was kind of how I ended up with Zendesk because you know Zendesk had some great, great things to offer. But yeah, as an adult, the, the really cruddy thing is you have to be very introspective about what type of person you are. And you kind of have to know like, Am I going to be okay with this long-term, whatever sort of decision I'm making? And then you have to stick with that decision. And, you know, like I said before, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but part of part of being an adult is knowing that, you know, if it doesn't work out, what's your next step to be okay? Because you can't just stand and look at the closed door and go, well, that really sucked. Now I'm going to mope for the next nine months you know, and yeah. then I have to rely on others. And if, if you've got, you got, you have to have some gusto. That's April. That is fantastic. I think you'd fit in my family really well. We, <laughs> we do a lot of the same. We, we watched my father in his career go through, uh, take risks and setbacks and have to, to, you know, figure out what that next step was. And, and like you said, who am I going to email? Um, yeah. he, he would have goals every day when he was on his job search of, I need to contact so many people. I need to have so many conversations and that's what I, that's my job every single day. I, I think our families have uh, a ton <laughs> in common. Uh, so talk yeah. to me about Ibotta. W- what is it? If I've never had, if our listeners have never heard of it before, tell me about Ibotta. Um, I bought it is an it's app based primarily, uh, but it is also a browser extension. It's also a web presence. Um, and the original idea for Ibotta was grocery purchases. Um, our founder, Brian Leach wanted to, excuse me, our founder wanted to approach grocery purchases. He was looking at someone clipping coupons and thought about, uh, in a very Denver, Colorado way, <laughs> uh, you know, look at how many trees we're killing and there's got to be a better way about this. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. the app launched uh, 2010s, the early 2010s. I think it actually came to fruition around 2013. And the whole idea was making grocery purchases rewarding, uh, similar to 
how other loyalty publishers in the affiliate space, how do we make shopping more rewarding? But it was particularly focused on grocery. So the root of what Ibotta is started in CPG, consumer packaged goods, um, and really just kind of reached out to different companies, the crafts of the world, the Coca-Colas mm-hmm. um, and, and that and so forth, and giving people uh, digital coupons uh, for their purchases. And they grew like gangbusters over the next several years. And then a light bulb went off several years ago saying, ah, there's there's this whole other side of e-commerce uh, that we could technically play in. Um, and they launched an affiliate experience of still within the app um, at that point of also being able to get cash back at Macy's, get cash back at Old Navy and Gap and, um, you know, Joanne Fabrics and the like. And uh, it, it is a constantly evolving project. Uh, there's always something new and exciting going on. But if I had to, if I had to say in 30 seconds, what is Ibotta? Ibotta is a company that strives to make every purchase, no matter what it is, if it's shopping, uh, you know, in a grocery store, if it's buying a new pair of shoes, if it's buying flooring for a new flooring project and making that purchase rewarding. And they're very focused on audience feedback, which is very cool. That was a new thing for me. Um, they actually have like social uh, groups, groups on Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to give feedback on what sort of experience consumers are getting, um, what sort of savings, you know, they're they're getting out of the experience, what sort of businesses they want to see Ibotta work with. So yeah, it, it's basically a vehicle to make cash back and make shopping more rewarding, uh, no matter where you are shopping. Awesome. Awesome. So I asked my team who work with either you or, or Ibotta in general, and I said, what questions should I ask April? So I have uh, like four rapid fire, like uh, Ibotta specific questions. And then I want to talk about Q4. You mentioned earlier, we're in the, you know, you're in the heat of Q4 (laughs) chaos, but so here are my rapid fire from the team. What verticals does Ibotta uh, find the most success with? Um, CPG is still a very big piece of our business. Um, but really outside of that, any sort of general, if you if you tend to buy it online <laughs> or if you tend to buy it in the store, that if it's something that you purchase once a year to five times a year, um, that's a business that we probably work with. So we do see um, strong performance in just kind of general everyday vertical where where you buy your clothes, where you do home improvement po- projects. Um where you buy your vacations and do your travel planning. Um, it's very well spread across kind of general general retail, um, as well as just kind of buying services and experiences. And, you know, I wouldn't out, I wouldn't rule out any sort of other businesses being potential partners in the future, but because we are our primary audience is still app-based because we are still growing the online presence. Uh, we still tend to be very retail focused. Um, I do think that that will probably change to a certain degree over the next couple of years as we scale uh, the online experience and the desktop experience and uh, the browser extension experience. 
Um, but we just launched a really exciting partnership with Walmart. Uh, they're a big, big player within the space and they're a very good partner of ours where uh, they have more of a, a close knit experience where there's more real time information. If you're shopping on Walmart, you're able to see which products have cash back available in real time experience. So with that being a piece of something that we offer, that's what kind of differentiates us as a partner. Um, I, I've never worked for a company that has had such an attitude of, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> um, you know, okay. most most brand partnerships uh, have these great ideas. They, you know, a retailer will come to us and say, we really want to solve for X. And then, you know, the, the neat part about it is I can go back to my engineering and products team and figure out how do we logistically solve for X. And sometimes the experience of that, you know, X becomes X squared or Y or something like that. Um, but essentially, you know, it's, it's kind of a, almost a game of figuring out, okay, how do we, how do we improve? How do we make ourselves better and offer this new thing to make us a better long-term partner, you know, for brands like Walmart, for brands that are, are also very rooted in everyday purchases. That's awesome. And I love that you have partnership algebra as uh, what you do day to day solving for X. I love it. Kids following at home. You won't have to do that in high school, but maybe uh, your your post or your, your advanced education, you may get into partnership algebra. I love it. I love it. So it, it uh, so my next question, uh, and I think I know the answer to this, but are you guys seeing success driving uh, online to offline or vice versa uh, purchases? Yes, very much so. And, and I think there's there's an argument to made to be made both ways. Um, and it's it's very strategic based on what partners want to do, where they're looking to invest. Um, but we have seen success driving online purchases into more of an in in store experience, and then the opposite way as well, making more in store purchases, driving more of that online. We have different levers that we can pull um, to to really kind of make growth happen either way. Um, and and I've had a fair amount of conversations lately. Interestingly enough, with with Delta kind of being in the back of everybody's mind, and you know how do we how do we differentiate our business approach in a way that will respond to everyone's concerns around Delta? Mm -hmm. I still have a fair amount of conversations about in-store cashback as well. Um, and how do we make that work? Would it be smart? Because I also part of the Q4 conversation is, you know, uh, everyone's sort of got this idea in the back of their minds that uh, that we are probably going to be up against some interesting shipping experience. Uh, and how is that going to affect holiday? So part of the conversations I've been having is, where can we put in-store shopping into the equation to effectively make your goals if if that comes to play where we're seeing no, longer than normal shipping times, you know, and, and you need to massage the customer experience in order to accommodate that, you know, at what point do we want to shift things to in-store? Um, how much is that going to cost? And thankfully, I, I happen to have a very smart team of support where we can run the numbers and kind of do projections around that. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting, If I think if anybody had a crystal ball, everyone appre would appreciate that going into this year, <laughs> even just throughout the last couple of years in a pandemic. Um, yeah. You know, 
like I said before, human behavior is something that is very tricky to predict. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. um, you know, in a it's, normal, it's really decision making. Oh, yes. Yes. And it's interesting. I said somebody something to someone the other day. You know, we talk about the before time as normal and this is abnormal. But there's so many things going on over the last several years that I hate even saying, you know, this is abnormal. It's more so I would like to get to the point where when can we get to the new normal? Because I think yeah. there's been so much culturally happening over the last couple of years that that's almost what our goal should be. How do we get to the new normal? And, um, you know, just how do we get to more kind of regular behavior about things and things like that? Because not everything that changed over the last year was necessarily for bad. I think, um, you know, some of the stuff that happened in 2020 was good because it did affect change and things like that. Uh, I think, the pandemic forced a lot of people to look at their home life, where they lived, how much time they spent with their family. So, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes when you face adversity, as we have just globally uh, dealing with COVID-19, it also leads to positive change. So and, and yeah. when you look at leading into Q4, um, you know, there were serious shipping delays last year. OK, now we know that that's a possibility. How do we plan for that? Um, so it does yeah. it does make you better prepared for the future because it does force you to look at every possibility of what could happen. Yeah, it, it builds resilience. I had a sure. uh, a colleague of mine. I think everyone needs a coach. I'm in a coaching group. And uh, as we were going through many different difficult changes uh, last uh, year, you know, his, his question was like, you seem unfazed by it. And I was like, well, you start to build and it comes back to your comment of you're going to be okay. Yeah. You go through, like, how do you build resilience? Well, you kind of have to go in battle a little bit. You have to, you know, to build a tough skin, you got to absorb some rocks and arrows and, and those kind of things. And these difficult times build us up and, and we want to run from it, right? We want to get right. comfort. I want, I want to, uh, I want to arrive. I want to be comfortable but we don't grow when we're comfort. And this is a great segue into another question. Um, getting back to your comment earlier about Q4, how do you plan right now? How do you look at Q4? I know for us, our annual planning became quarterly planning. Our quarterly yeah. planning became monthly planning. Our monthly became weekly. Like our timeframes just became shorter because so much was changing. How's that? How's the planning look for you? It's interesting. I, I won't say that seasonal peaks and valleys aren't always going to be seasonal peaks and valleys. Um, I've always taken it because I've worked across a lot of different verticals. I've worked on everything from cosmetics to travel to subscriptions. Um, and you have to approach it with a few rules in mind. One of those being um, I shouldn't measure myself against somebody who isn't within the same vertical. <laughs> mm. So, um, you know, travel partners, while they can take some great ideas from retail, you know, you shouldn't measure that in the same way because it's not the same buying funnel. Um, one other piece of that, too, is it's not as if the rules of the game have totally been thrown out the window. We still know that if you put surprise sale on something, women tend to love that kind of language and they will probably click through and at least put a few things in the cart, whether or not they check out uh, is a different piece of the puzzle. Um, but, you know, it, it's not as if there's a complete reset on the way we think about, you know, uh, how we approach 
seasonal planning and things like that. But it's it's more so, can we be a little bit more risk averse in terms of our planning and having something in your back pocket that if things don't work out the way you anticipated, okay, what's our next move? I, I think the back pocket sort of thing has been very present and appreciated in a lot of the conversations I've been having with the brands that we work with because, you know, um, we talked about pushing online sales in store if we run into shipping delays. Um, that's been a, a very present thing in the conversations I've been having. And, and also, okay, how do we pull more of this shopping activity forward and try and spread some of the love that everyone loves to shop on Black Friday and Cyber Monday? But how do we incentivize earlier on in the cycle so that we put less pressure on meeting our GMB goals when it comes to you know late November, early December? And then we're really looking at okay, uh, there's a certain point with these goals that we have to say, I've, I've put in all of my effort and now the chips will fall where they may. Um, so, you know, it's a lot about open conversations in the partnerships that I have um, and, and asking a lot of questions, but also establishing trust in that partnership too, so that the partners that I'm working with know that I'm looking at this from all angles and know that, you know, I'm trying to have kind of an ace in my back pocket of, okay, if we need to pull a lever, what do we do? And what does that look like? And what is it going to cost? And the more safety plans that you can come up with, I think the just better prepared you end up being. April, that's gold. That is fantastic. I love. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I'm writing frantically and I just hope I can read anything that I wrote. In <laughs> it, 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 I loved the, I love these rules for, for planning. And if I could just reiterate for our listeners and you tell me if I, I got them right, um, we shouldn't measure ourselves uh, against someone outside of our vertical. Right. Uh, uh, rules haven't changed that much. A lot of the marketing stuff that we do still works. So maybe yep. that's more of a like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> we don't have to freak Everybody out too much. Everybody needs to be told it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. That may be the title of this podcast. It's it's going to be okay. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like being known as an eternal optimist because uh, I struggle with that. So I'm one of those people that like, if I, if I see myself not being great at something, it's like, okay, how do I fix that about me? And so I... I'm not naturally optimistic. I have to force it sometimes. I love your, you know, there's a common thread through our discussion of self-awareness. Uh, yeah. And uh, I was thinking about it when we were, you were, you were just talking about planning and thinking about all the social things that have changed, everything that's gone on and how important it is when we're planning to, to kind of separate, you know, sometimes we're laminated our beliefs. Yeah. And so you, we may have specific beliefs about what's going on and that may be completely unimportant to planning your initiatives for the next quarter um, yeah. because you just have to get into reality of what, like what is not what I think about it and plan for that. But then you said, uh, you know, can we be uh, more risk adverse? Uh, I love the back pocket plan. Like here's the plan, but then here's, that's one thing we've done a lot of is, is, um, uh, I had a coach, uh, that, uh, talked about being clear and open and, and that is actually his website, clearandopen.com. But one of the things that he said, be real clear with what you believe and open yeah. to being yeah. completely wrong about it. So I always take that in our planning. Let's be real clear what we think we should do 
and open to that. Like there's going to be a bit of information next Tuesday at four o'clock that we get in. We have no idea what it is. And we're going to have to be open to changing everything that we're doing for the next three months. Uh, And that back pocket plan kind of talks about that too. And then the next three I wrote down, and I didn't know if you planned on have seven, but I wrote down seven. open conversations, asking questions and establishing trust. For me, those are like the the most important way that affiliate marketing is different than other channels. Yes. Because you are dealing with people on the other side and especially right now, like you said, logistical problems. Got to have open conversations to know what are those that are coming up? How can we solve this? How can we do it now? And those conversations come from having trusting relationships and asking good yeah. questions are a way to get there. I loved your, your planning rules. This is fantastic. <laughs> there's, there's sometimes good things that come out of my chaotic brain and I appreciate the compliment you just gave me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love it. it. It's definitely something I'm going to put in our show notes. So for our listeners, definitely look at our show notes. I'll list those seven out. Uh, and so, so you guys can have them as well. Um, but one thing I read through your, uh, LinkedIn, uh, re- recommendations, uh, and you, you have a ton, there's a thread in there of just being a great partner and being able to optimize. And and a lot of what this planning is coming through, but how do you, you know, optimize and keep profitability in mind when you're working with uh, a partner? How does that work for you? A lot of that is about transparency. Um, I can't tell you how many times, Jamie, I've asked a question and I've said in the moment in that conversation, if you don't have an answer for this, that's totally fine, but it's going to help me come up with a plan that'll truly meet your needs. And I think Mm -hmm. as soon as you say something like that, that's when it's, it becomes less of me being a salesperson. Cause I think most people that just talk to me in real life or even in conversations like this, they always say, you don't come across really salesy. (laughs) <laughs> it's like I a great compliment, that's right? That's, that's why I'm why I end up uh, being successful is uh, you know you have to you have to care about your partner's success as much as they care about their success, and also as you're making decisions, as you're making recommendations, keep the big picture in mind. And as soon as you open up that trust process, and you are proving by asking questions like that, by saying, okay. I would really like this information from you. If you don't have it right now, that's totally fine, but it's going to help me fine tune what we're trying to do here to meet your needs. That's the sort of stuff when, when someone hears that they suddenly see, oh, okay, I can trust her with more information than I normally give in these scenarios because she's in it to make me look good. And that's, I've told so many clients and I'm sure anybody that listens to this will probably back me up on this, that, you know, I, I don't always get it right. Not uh, everyone is, no one is infallible to human error, but I do do everything in my power to make sure that every sort of exposure plan that I come up with is is done so with the best interest in mind of both parties. I, I want my partner's business to be profitable. I want them to see long-term uh, potential in working with me and working with Ibotta and working with whatever company I've worked for. Um, I also want Ibotta <laughs> to be profitable. I want us to uh, yeah. maintain an established, you know, growth within the business. But 
there's there's a happy medium in any scenario. And um, my team at Ibotta, we just went through this this sort of uh, practice process where we we uh, practiced buying and selling a car and going through all the necessary steps of buying and selling a car. And we had to kind of role play of who was the seller, who was the buyer. Um, but it was an interesting process because it really shed light. And, and I'll give my my boss, Stephen, credit for that, Stephen Signer. It's shed light on, as you go through this process, there really shouldn't be necessarily a clear winner on one side of the game. For long-term partnerships, there needs to be a happy medium where both parties have really come to the table and given all of their ideas and had a very transparent conversation and then we have a full game plan going forward that both parties are very confident in. That's that should be the ultimate goal anytime you're you're talking about marketing or or that sort of process. Because once you have that trust in the process, then if things do go wrong, if you do face adversity and things don't end up the way, you know, you anticipated them ending up, sometimes for factors beyond your control. You can still come back and say, Yeah, but we had such we had such high hopes, we had such great intent. And we really put in the work to make this thing work. So, you know, now how do we approach this moving forward and, and how do we do it better next time? I think that's that's the, the role of adversity just within life, but also within these long-term partnerships and these relationships. You know, um, not every email is going to be a rousing success. Not every push notification is going to be a rousing success. It's more so, you know, we put all the best efforts we could into it based on our estimations, based on decision making of the past and what we know about our promotional calendar. But if it didn't work, um, you know, do we trust another, uh, each other enough to move forward and still approach this again, but with a slightly different game plan, um, you know, and, and without that trust, you know, you're, you're going to you're going to have a, a very short longevity in terms of your relationship with a partner. And I've, I've told a lot of partners this as well, that I'm looking big picture. I want you to be successful. Here's the things that I think you should invest in. I welcome your feedback. I close so many emails with, I look forward to your feedback. I welcome your feedback because I always want partners to feel like they have a say in the process. Um, and, and I'm looking with the information I have, if I send you a plan, um, you're also going to look at it with information that's different from what I know. So, mm -hmm. you know, that back and forth is so key and so critical in making sure that the partnership is a success. That's awesome. One thing I wrote down from from that was be as concerned about your partner's success as they are. Um, I went through uh, a negotiation training from the Karas Institute, and the one thing that they stressed was uh, it has to be a win-win. Both parties really do yep. have to feel like like they have won. Do you think most advertisers come to the table looking to work for with you with that mindset in place, or do you think they're they're just not they're not well they're not there? I don't think it's one size fits all. Um, I, I've seen a lot of situations where a brand didn't work an affiliate previously. Um, or they hired a new affiliate manager that maybe had a background in digital and an affiliate is a new game for them. I, I think it depends on where they're coming from in terms of how open they're going to be in that partnership. And again, human behavior, I don't have control over how brands are going to come to the table and what sort of attitude they're going to come with. The best thing I can do is make every effort to show that I'm trustworthy, to show that I've done my homework. Um, and, and, 
usually uh, that's usually a successful tactic is just showing people that you care about their success and and also putting in the work, <laughs> doing the homework and preparing yourself and saying, okay, I know that your business has grown X amount over the last year. I've also noticed you've been advertising in these other spaces and, and asking questions like, how is that going for you? Are you finding a lot of success there? Is there anything that we can mirror in terms of those tactics um, to, to mirror that success as well? And the more questions you ask, uh, kind of more transparency you get in the relationship. And sometimes it's immediate, sometimes it's baby steps, and you just have to be prepared to kind of go the long haul and, and like I said, put in the work. That's awesome. So we are a little over time. I'll ask one more question and then okay. uh, I will let you go. Um, what if I am an advertiser and I want to partner with you guys, what do uh, what do you need to make that mo the most successful? In terms of the step by step process or in terms of uh, just general approach? And generally, like what should they be thinking about and, and how you work and what you they need to provide you? It's a little bit affiliate 101. Um, I would say this, this should be the case for pretty much all affiliate relationships. You should come with the seed in the back of your brain that anything that you do in affiliate is also going to be affected by your external marketing. Um, I, I have this conversation often that, you know, what you're doing in affiliate is great. Um, but if you come to me on a Friday and you say, why do we have such a great Wednesday? My gosh, we blew everything out of the water. And, and then I do some research and then I say, well, your brand was featured on Oprah on Wednesday. I've, I've had that happen legitimately. Man, that makes it feel like I've been in this for a long time because Oprah has not been on a traditional channel for a long time. But, um, you know, it's that <laughs> right sort of thing. Yeah, it's, it's that sort of thing where um, you have to come to the table with the understanding that you're one piece of a pie and it's a super important piece. Um, but there are still external factors that are going to affect how that pie tastes. But then also, uh, you know, a, a pretty good grasp of what your goals are is extremely helpful. Um, and, and it should go deeper than I want to grow my sales. Uh, that's great. Where do you want to grow your sales from? Do you want to grow it from promotional activity? Do you want to grow it from a specific audience sector? You know, coming up with strategic measurable goals is another big piece of it. And, and then that trust factor, you know, um, and, and I'm not going to go out and say every publisher deserves to have that trust right off the bat. Um, mm. You know, we're all human beings. Some are great at their jobs. Some are still getting there with being great at their jobs. I think there's potential in every publisher and every partnership. But, you know, if, if they're generally asking questions like, what are your specific goals? Who do you need to convert? You know, what does your promotional calendar look like? Hey, I came up with these ideas from your direct competitors. You know, that's generally when you have a safe bet in trusting those people because they've put in their homework and obviously they wouldn't be researching those types of things without uh, having some care for your success. So trust is kind of the last big piece of it. Awesome. Definitely, definitely got that. Outstanding. Well, April, thank you so much. If uh, any of our listeners want to touch base with you, follow you, contact you and, and talk more about this uh, stuff, they want to get uh, integrated with Ibotta, what is the best way for them to do that? You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, um, April Spigarelli. It's spelled phonetically, thank goodness, because it's a long and Italian last name. Um, <laughs> you can also get a hold of us at retailcp at ibotta.com. Um, I believe that goes to the entire team. 
that will be specific to our affiliate. Um, so it won't be reaching everybody on the CBG side and things like that, because we are definitely two different arms of the same body. Um, but yeah, retailcp at ibotta.com will also reach the team. Um, and then you can also reach out to us through Impact Radius, CJ, and Rakuten, because we also have availability in there as well. Outstanding. Well, April, I have really enjoyed this conversation and it was great to see we have a ton in common on how we do things uh, and some really good stuff. I think our listeners will find this uh, incredibly enlightening. So thank you for taking the time. And I totally reserve the right to ask you to come on again and dive into some (laughs) other topics. So our listeners, you may see an episode two in season three uh, with April and I, but Thank you so much. And I hope you have a, a great day. Yes. Good luck in uh, this crazy planning season for Q4. And thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Well, first off, April, thank you so much for taking a little more than an hour with me today on the podcast. Really, really some good stuff. Thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you more and hearing about your journey and also hearing about planning and Ibotta and all those things. So thank you so much for joining me. For my listeners, man, let's talk about the planning rules. Did you hear those? I'll share them again. Shouldn't compare yourself against someone outside of your vertical. Super important right now because a lot of things are fluctuating. Rules haven't changed that much. Marketing uh, tactics, marketing verbiage, uh, marketing strategies that worked before the pandemic, a lot of them still work. So don't, uh, this is our, it's going to be okay uh, rule that she talked about. Look at, uh, can we be more risk adverse? Are the things we can do that aren't as risky? And number four is back pocket plans. So if something doesn't work out, have your plan for what you're gonna do about that before you execute that first plan. Uh, And then the three important things, this is about relationship building. One of the reasons why affiliate marketing is so different. It can be so hard if you're not focusing on these things. Open conversations, asking questions, and establishing trust. Huge, huge things in your rules for your plan. So if you're getting ready to plan Q4, if you're listening to this at another time and you're looking to do your annual planning, definitely look at those seven rules. They are really fantastic stuff. So thank you again, April, for joining us. Thank you listeners uh, for listening to the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. Now, if there's ways you can help us. If you found this podcast to be uh, educational and important, entertaining, and valuable, please share that with a friend who you think would benefit from today's conversation. You can also share this episode on all your socials so your followers can see what you're listening to and can even participate. You can also leave us, and I'd love for you to do this, leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast player you use. We would love that. That really helps us get the word out to to other people. And if you'd like to be a guest, we are finalizing a few spots in season two and lining up season three already. So if you'd like to be a guest or you know someone who should be a guest, definitely let us know. And you can let us know at gethelp at jebcommerce.com. And that email is also available if you need help. Do you not know how to work with these affiliates? Do you not know how to plan? Whatever your affiliate needs are, I would love to help. And I have two ways for you to do that. 
you can go email me at gethelp at jebcommerce.com and I will respond to your request. Just let me know what you're looking help for. Or you can go to calendly.com slash Jamie Birch and set up a time, 15 minutes, half hour, whatever you need. Uh, and we will talk about all things affiliates. So don't forget, you got help if you need it. And don't forget those planning rules. If you want to see them written out, look in our show notes. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to hearing from you and hearing your feedback and having my next conversation on the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast.